0: Well, this past week, Lynn McDermott and myself had the chance to head down to Cambridge for the Feb Central Convention. This year, that's the body of churches that we are a part of in Ontario and English Quebec. And so we we had a great time hearing Dr. Charles Price and some others speak to us. Um, and so we'll look forward to sharing more of that with you. But since I was away most of the week, uh, I don't have the—I uh, don't have to preach today. And so you're actually going to have the privilege of hearing one of my old friends come. And uh, I knew Josh way back in the day. Uh, I think he was my youth leader when I was in grade 12, and then he was my small group leader when I was in first year university. And so he is a mentor to me at that time in a very important time of life, and uh, I feel very privileged to have him with us this morning. Josh, why don't you come? This is Josh Brake. He's now a pastor at Maple Avenue Baptist Church, is that correct? That's right. Down in Georgetown. And so, would you welcome him to Calvary this morning?
1: Well, thanks for having me here today. It's great, to, uh, it's great to be here. Ottawa really is a second home uh, to my wife and I. We'll just roll with stuff, okay? Uh, it really is a second home to us here. Um, I went to Carleton University. Uh, my wife went to Ottawa U. We met at the Met and uh, married not long after. And I'll throw... Yeah, there's the picture. That's my wife, Barbara. So really, my, my main priorities, uh, really above even pastoring, is being a husband and a father. We have three children. Catherine, our oldest, uh, in the middle there, is three. Olivia is uh, 16 months. She's on the left. And Elias is two months. He's on the right. So we're, we're kind of a, a jam-packed family, nice and close together. Um, should have paid more attention in health class. But, you know, we're, we're doing okay. We're still upright, which is the main thing, I guess, at this point. Um, aside from this, uh, being a pastor at Maple Avenue Baptist Church in Georgetown, um, husband, father, I also am the executive director of a, of a found, charitable foundation called uh, Quitoa. You can find that at Quitoa.org. You can throw up the next slide. It's an organization that's been founded and that looks to get as many people from all around the world to give $1 a month to a collective pot. Each month, Katoa partners with a different humanitarian organization that gives three projects based upon either theme or geography. Every person that gives one dollar gets one vote, and the project that has the most votes at the end of the month gets all the money. It's really that simple. It's looking to get people everywhere to help people everywhere because people everywhere matter. We operate in 17 currencies and 30 different languages, so we really are looking to grow a global enterprise. You can go to the next slide there. Um, You can follow us on Twitter if you're one of those folks. And uh, I'm still learning all this stuff. I still have a hard time texting. You know, my wife laughs at me, but it it is my life. You can go to the next slide there. Uh, Katoa.org is the website. You can go in there and just pop in your email address, and we'll send you an email when we're up and running, and you can feel free to check out uh, more about us at that time. You can go to the next slide there. Today I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, though, because what I'm here to do isn't preach Katoa. I preach Christ. That's... That's my heart and that's my passion. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. Now if you don't have a Bible with you, you can either just cozy up to someone next to you or you can grab one of the pew rack in front of you and you can turn to page 958. 958 in the pew rack uh, Bible in front of you. Now as I hear pages turning, I want you to know the context of what we're reading out of today is quite important. It's amidst the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. It's the most famous of all of his sermons. Uh, many, even if they don't go to church, might pick a, might, their ear might pick something out of that if they were to hear it read. It's a series of teachings which Jesus gave, which, truthfully said, wasn't for the masses. It was for those who considered themselves followers of Jesus. Christ's disciples. In fact, if you're already there, just look back to the first two verses of, of chapter 5. As it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Who came to him? His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, You see, so today, what we are going to read, while it has value for the masses, it is meant for you and me. If you call yourself a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, then today, this teaching isn't optional. It's for you as it is for me today. Would you bow your head as we open up in prayer? Our Father, today we come before you, we come before your word, and we just say, use it to change our hearts, to change our minds. Lord, convict us where we need convicting in our own lives. Give us encouragement where we need that encouragement. Uh, Exhort us where we need that. Father, we pray that as we read your word, our minds might be transformed into that of Christ, that our hearts might be transformed to the will of Christ. Father, that the world might see our light and give glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look to verse 14 to 16 with me as I read. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You can put up the next slide. An Associated Press report from a few months back reads as follows. Shirtless men beat their chests, and women wailed in grief as the body of a Christian politician killed on Wednesday for opposing Pakistan's harsh blasphemy laws was buried in his home village. The law which he opposed imposes a death sentence on anyone who, quote, insults Islam. Bati, 42, a campaigner for human rights causes, had apparently been aware of the danger he was in And he left a videotape message with the British Broadcasting Corporation and the Al Jazeera Satellite Television Network. It was to be broadcast in the event of his death. In the farewell statement, Bhatti said that he was being threatened by the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, but this would not deter him from speaking for, quote, oppressed and marginalized Christians and other minorities in Pakistan. He said, I will die to defend their rights. These threats and these warnings cannot change my opinions or my principles. Despite the threats, Bati, who had been assigned bodyguards, was killed when he was visiting his parents in the capital of Islamabad on Wednesday afternoon, police said. The politician had just pulled out of the driveway of his parents' house when three men standing nearby opened fire. Two of the men opened the door and tried to pull Bati out, while a third man fired his Kalashnikov rifle repeatedly into the dark Toyota, shattering the windows with bullets. The gunmen then sped away. In leaflets left at the scene of the shooting, They indicated that Al-Qaeda and the Pakistani Taliban movement in the Punjab province were claiming responsibility. Their notes referred to Bati only as an infidel Christian and read, This is the punishment of this cursed man. Christians make up around 5% of the country's 180 million people, and along with other non-Muslim minorities, have been often persecuted. They typically live in poor parts, ghettoized areas of towns, separated from Muslims, Do low skilled, badly paid jobs. They are threatened with death and are killed upon converting from Islam and are on a regular basis, and on a regular basis, experiencing attacks on themselves and their families. You can go to the next slide. This picture was taken 10 days after that report was given. It was the only picture that was taken outside of the mosque where that edict to kill Bati was given. And at that, the folks that we were with just said, no more pictures. I was in Pakistan with a group that was doing some monitoring of, of various humanitarian issues that are, are really plaguing our world right now. Before I got into the van that morning, our, our guide, he looked at me. He was a, just a spirit-filled Christian man. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget the way he said it. We're all getting ready to go, make sure, okay, cameras, pens, paper, all the rest of it. We're about to go, and then he grabs my hand. Grabs my hand. I've got two kids at home, and he he looks at me in the eyes, and he says, Brother Josh, Brother Josh, if they should take you, just keep saying, I love Pakistan. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Just like that. I'm not kidding you. Just like that. Okay, let's go. And so we went, and thank God we you know, kept the curtains closed. And uh, In fact, I, I dressed in sort of a, a traditional Muslim garb, everything with prayer beads and a whole lot. Because, um, as let's just say, having my complexion, you stick out a bit in Pakistan. <laughs> so they thought, you know, if someone sees you and you're dressed like this, they might just think you're uh, an American convert coming for more teachings which sometimes is the case. You can go to the next slide. As I mentioned, I was there overseeing a a monitoring trip with an organization that we work with that's looking to free, really free, hundreds if not thousands of modern day slaves that exist in Pakistan. It's not a problem that is specific to Pakistan, but it's one where we were working. Whether it's boys or girls or seniors, This young guy here, he was the third generation of slave to work this brick kiln. Why do we go to places like Pakistan? Why do we go to places like Egypt and Syria? Why do we go into areas like Orissa in eastern India, where the houses of converts are burned and the bodies of believers are left in the streets to act as a warning? Why do we go to those places? If this is what what they face, why do we send people in? And why don't we just get those people out? Why should Christians engage in these good works, either here at home or on the global stage? Why? See, the reason that we send people in and we don't pull them out is because our world is experiencing both decay and it is lost and it is living in darkness. And this doesn't just go for the streets of Pakistan or Sudan. This goes for the groupings of home in Gloucester, Orleans, Sandy Hill. I know I've lived here. Doesn't matter how nice the car is that's in the driveway, doesn't matter what kind of toys might be in the garage, how nicely the lawn might be manicured. There is not one single corner of this community that is not experiencing the effects of sin in some facet. We know this, right? We know this because we've experienced, experienced this in our own lives. And while we have been freed from the penalty of death, we know that sin is a pervasive thing. There's a roaring lion which waits in prowl for us. Jesus said that we, Christians, his disciples are the salt and and light that God has established before the creation of the world to be the preservers of life and the bringers of truth. That's important. To say to that decaying stench of death, you have no place here. And to chase out the darkness with the light of Christ, which is the truth of the gospel. It is that which we sang about this morning. It is that which has given life to your heart. And today as we focus on the light aspect of this, we are turning our attention to just three simple verses, those that we read, which contain for us the words of Christ as they relate to his disciples bringing light into this world. See, today we're going to talk about being a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, to the glory of God the Father. Over the ages and throughout various literary genres, light and darkness have often been used as metaphors for both knowledge and ignorance as well as life and death. And so with that in mind, see your knowledge of the gospel should so impact your actions that others might see you and give glory to God. And this is the crux of the teaching today. In fact, if we were to look at the breadth of scripture, and you were to allow your mind to shift over a few chapters, your ear might find something familiar in what I'm about to say. Jesus said, in chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. But, but look back to our passage today. What does it say right off the bat in verse 14? It says, Christ said, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Understand that this is a big deal. Christ refers to himself as the light of the world, and then he looks at his disciples and says, You are the light of the world. God incarnate, Christ in the flesh refers to himself as the light of the world but then he looks at his disciples and knows I will not be with you in the flesh forever you are the light of the world Christ is preparing those who would ultimately need to take up their cross to follow him to be a light to the world now understand when he says you are the light of the world he's not saying you are God incarnate If you think you're a God, that is a whole other area of counseling that we need to have. Matt's a good guy. I'm sure he can fit you in somewhere. He's not saying that for sure. But what he is saying is really what Paul, the Apostle Paul echoed in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul rightly says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us so that through both our word and our deed, We might call others into a right relationship with the living God. Two things here, okay? Two things. First of all, your awareness of the gospel and of grace has to be a constant presence in your life. See, it should eat out of us. It should eat out of our lives. It should seep from our pores. I don't know if you've been in a place where folks eat some spicy food. You can usually smell it. (laughs) And really, this is what God is talking about here. This is the message that is being proclaimed to us. See, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 16, he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are being and to those who are, per- are perishing. See, to the one group. We are an aroma that brings death. But to the other, we are an aroma that brings life. See, spiritually speaking, there should either be an odor or an aroma about us to everyone. Now, I don't know if you thought about yourself that way. Maybe your wife, guys, maybe your wife has told you you've had a bit of an odor at times. But spiritually speaking, people should smell us coming. There's something sweet. Or there's something that stinks. Look back to verse 14 with me again. What does it say? Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Did you know that if you are a Christian, that you are part of Christ's church... You are part of Christ's church. You are a city on a hill which is meant to be a beacon in a dark and dying and lost world. That is is no small task. You are a beacon on a hill. That is important. It doesn't matter the size of the church that you are a part of. You are a city on a hill. If you have been redeemed by the blood and thereby saved from the coming wrath of God, then the Spirit of God, which has taken up residence within you, cannot be hidden. It impacts everything. Everything. If you are a Christian, there is no facet of your mind, there is no desire of your heart, there is no work of your hands, which is now not under the law of grace. And likewise, there is no area of your life, be it past present, or that which is to come, in which God's grace has not also been afforded to you through the blood of Christ. See, Christ is sufficient to keep your light burning strong. You know, some of us struggle with that, though, don't we? I know that I have. It's a reality, really, where we look at our own imperfections, we think of our own sinful past, and even when things creep in again... We can't seem to shake those things. And we don't... We don't feel like a city on a hill. We don't feel like a lamp on a stand. We don't think we got that in us. And if it were up to you, you know what? You don't. This is the reason that God has given you His Spirit. So that it is not you who is doing this, but God working through you. See, there are times when... We don't feel we don't feel very bright. We don't feel like a birthday candle, let alone a blowtorch. There isn't too much spiritual heat coming out of us. And sometimes that can make our hearts heavy. It can cause us to feel defeated. But Christ has not given you a defeated spirit. Christ's death and the resurrection, which we celebrated this past. Sunday is not a faith based upon defeat, is it? It's based upon power and authority and the resurrection life which gives us new life. And even when we fail and even when we fall, the Spirit of Christ is present on our behalf. There's a guy you might have heard of. He struggled with this. His name is Martin Luther, a master theologian, a reformer, a public figure, and you know what? He was a normal Christian guy, just like us. Just a Christian, a follower of Christ, trying to make his way. He faced what you and I faced, and he responded like this. Listen as I read an excerpt of one man's work that chronicled the life of Luther. He said this. It is well known that in his writings and table conversation, Luther would often refer to visits from the devil, how the devil would come to him and whisper in his ear, in his ear, accusing him of all manner of filthy sin, Martin, you are a liar, greedy, lustful, a blasphemer, a hypocrite. You cannot stand before God. To which Luther would respond, Well, yes, I am. And indeed, Satan, you do not know the half of it. I have done much worse than that. And if you care to give me your full list, I can no doubt add to it and help make it more complete. But you know what, you father of lies, my Savior has died for all of my sins. Those you mentioned, those I could add, and indeed those I have committed, but am so wicked that I am unaware of having done so. And it does not change the fact that Christ has died for all of them. His blood is sufficient, and on the day of judgment I shall be exonerated, because he has taken all of my sins on himself, and clothed me in his own perfect righteousness." And so in this all-surpassing perfection and grace, which is found in the person of and in the work of Christ, the sanctifying of work of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life, it should bring about such an awareness of sin and such a disgust towards it that our very existence acts as a beacon to those around us, to those who are traveling in darkness and seeking the safety of a city on a hill in a pitch black, dark night where there is nothing but fear and lostness. See, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, regardless of your age, of your stage, or your station in life, you are not a cottage tucked away in some corner of the woods. You are a city on a hill. You are a lamp on a stand to the glory of God the Father. That is no small task. That is no small calling. But if you are a follower of Christ, that is your calling. Listen, you are probably not going to be in a position where you feel that you need to send in a martyr's tape to the CDC just in case somebody takes you out. But neither should you be in a place in your life where should that happen. Your neighbors, co workers, friends, and your family should hear about your death and hear why you died and, find and think to themselves, really? That guy? I didn't know he was a Christian. That lady? I didn't even know she was religious. Makes us stop. Makes us think. Look to verses 15 and 16 with me. Verse 15, it says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. First thing, your awareness of the gospel and of grace has to be a constant presence in your life. It has to be. The second thing is this you actually have to do something with it, you actually have to do something with that knowledge. It should actually be casting a light to those around you. Now here's where folks that have gone to church for a while can get stuck up in, in a conflict which I think has no business in the church. I'll tell you the two sides of the argument. On the one side, you can have folks that say, you know what, we've been called to good works in Christ. We need to do good things. We need to help people. We need to think of the widow and the poor and the orphan, and we need to help and we need to do everything we can. But we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to color our help with Christ, because, well, we just, we just want to help the. We just want to help the flesh, and while the motivation is good, it seems to be missing a fairly important component. Don't you think? This is one side. It's sort of a social gospel movement. In the past, it's still present in some forms. Not so much. But on the other side, we've got another group here. And, and there's no technical title for this group. I'm not blaming you guys. Don't worry. But we'll just call you the Holy Huddle, okay? You're the folks that, that like to have small groups and Bible studies, and, and you come out on Sunday morning, and, and maybe Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, and, and you'll do all sorts of things. But when it comes to helping those that are outside of your box, You know, if God wanted you to help them, he'd bring them here. And when when he did bring them here, they'd need to to look like you and talk like you and and maybe smell like you and dress like you. See what I'm saying? Where the concern about helping others... Well, we don't want to... Because we just want to focus on telling people about Jesus. Completely disregarding the fact that our actions very often tell people about Jesus, don't they? Gandhi, who wasn't a Christian but really did a good job at following a lot of the teachings of Jesus. He said this. He said, it's not Jesus I have a problem with, but it's many of his followers. See, the gospel keeps us centered. It keeps us centered at the cross, where both word and works come together for the betterment of man and to the glory of God. We can't have one or the other. That is not a debate that should be had. If someone needs help, we help them. If someone needs the word, we give it to them. If they need both, double whammy. And see, that's our calling. Sometimes we wonder what God's will is for our lives. Our lives, right? We wonder, and oftentimes we will think in very specific terms. Do you know that God has, God has exposed His general will to us, in both the doing of good and the speaking of God's good word. If you have an opportunity to do either of those things, you don't need a shining light from heaven. God's goodwill for your life has been expressed to you in that moment. And you can be obedient to that. I mean, how many times, and I know this is true for me, that I've seen an opportunity, and for whatever reason, I've just passed it by. And afterwards, I'm thinking, is that a whole guilty feeling? I should have. Why didn't I? See God's will is exposed to us on a regular basis. We need to be obedient to that. Ephesians 2:10 says, "For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance for us to do." I'll say it again, in advance for us to do, the good works that come before you aren't an accident, they aren't by chance. They have been created and placed in your path by God for His glory before you even came upon them. You see, there is a fundamental difference between saying something and doing something. While our motivation emerges from the grace of God and leads to the glory of God, see, Christ didn't come and simply declare, I have come to set the captives free. He actually did set those captives free to sin, when he gave his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. And when we talk about in churches God's common grace in the world, we'll often talk about things of nature. We'll think about the weather. The the sun and the rain, they fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And that's true. That is God's blessing upon all people. But what is the one other thing which God has, has created on this earth To be a blessing to all, be they sinner or saint. The church. It is the only other thing on this earth which God has established to bless the earth. And you know, this is where I'm excited for you guys. I get to worship with you this morning and I get to You'll get a chance to chat with Matt and hear about, I think, the vision and the passion that God is infusing into your church, a care and compassion for your community, for those that are struggling in sin, for those who have been hurt by the consequences of their sin and the sin of others, and to see that God has placed compassion and care in your hearts for those people, to both help them if they need it, and speak truth into their lives should they not know. I'm excited for you guys. There's a a pastor I heard, his name's Steve Adams, and he was talking about the church which he provides leadership to, and he said this. He said, I don't want us to be the best church in the city. I want us to be the best church for the city. You know what? You guys right here, your mandate isn't to to blanket all of Ottawa. Can I just ask, just raise your hand, who here walked here this morning? Anybody walk here this morning? Who here drove here and it took them five minutes or less? Five minutes or less. Ten minutes or less. Ten minutes or less. Less than 15 minutes. Can I I just give you, this is just my own thing. This isn't your leadership talking. This is just me, okay? I've been to enough churches and seen enough stuff that if this is your home church, if this is where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to be here, I'm fully committed. Maybe God is putting it on your heart this morning or in your mind over the past couple of weeks as you fall in love with the work that is being done in this church. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to move from around the corner, from here, literally, so that the people that you meet in the grocery store when you get your hair cut cross the hall in your apartment. And they get to know you and they see the light just shining in your life. And you can say, hey, would you like to come with us? It's just around the corner. We can walk there together. We'll give you a ride. It's less than five minutes. I'll just tell you from practice that I've seen a much better response to those who are within their community, communicating the gospel through both works and word, than I have from those who have been living quite a ways out and having to commute in. This isn't some sort of holy edict from me on high. This is just something I've seen that I've seen has made an impact. And I think the closer you are, realistically, to this physical place, the more connected you're going to be to the gospel working through you, your family's life, and into the lives of the lost in this community. So why do we do good things? Verse 60 in the back half. What does it say? That they may see your what? Your good deeds. And they may praise who? You? No. May praise your Father in heaven. Let me tell you how this works in two different groups of people, and then we'll close. The first group, when you do something good to another Christian, to another believer, to another follower of Christ, you know what it does? It makes them thankful to God. My wife and I went through quite a struggle with our our second daughter. Uh, We ended up at McMaster's Children's Hospital, and things weren't looking good for a while. And we had people from our church help us in ways that we were not expecting. Bring us meals, care for our kids, all the rest of it. Family members, for sure. And what we did is, we gave thanks to God for that. Our, our praise went to God because of the works they had done. Also, it can help make us think of, hey, you know what? I should be doing this, brothers. It can just act as a, you know, kind of reminder, a bit of a wake-up call. Someone did this for me. It's easy for me to do it. Somebody else. But the other group of people which this can impact are those are those who don't know Christ. Those who might have grown up in some sort of Christian context, who might have uh, some Christianese, if you want to call it that, in their their bloodline somewhere. When it comes to being a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus' commands, it's just not really on their radar. And when you act in ways that are gracious and compassionate towards them, you know what it does? It causes them to stop and to give thanks to God. We may not think that. They might be thanking you. But this is your opportunity. And if you're one of those, it's a scary word, action-based evangelists. Evangelism is kind of a funny word to us at times. But if that's you, then this is a great opportunity for you. You see, some of us, like I said, have a hard time kind of communicating who we are in Christ to others. I got a bit of a gimme on this. Okay, so I'm not putting a heavy on you. I just tell folks, I'm a pastor, and most times folks can put one and one together, and they don't usually end up with three. So, I can say, you know, I'm a pastor, and they kind of send, oh, in okay, case so you're like a church guy or something, and they usually ask me if I'm allowed to be married, and they're surprised when I have kids, and <laughs> stuff like that. But this may not be your case. So, how do you communicate to people that, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, without it feeling weird, right? without it feeling contrived, or forced, or kind of freaky or nerdy, or all the rest of it. How do you do that? Let me just give you a couple examples. One of the easiest ways, just talk about your life. Talk about your life. You, know, you talk about what's important to you. One of the regular things that that Barbara and I talk about with our friends is our church, what we do. It's just it's part of our life. It's important to us. It's kind of an easy bridge. That's kind of a, a broad thing. If there's a need, help the need. Another way, though, might be and this is based upon the relationship you have. Again, the closer you are with somebody, the, I think the deeper you can go. Right? Because they care about you, and they care about what's important. So don't be shy about what's important. You know, if I've had friends who aren't Christians, and they've been going through some stuff, and I've met with them, and we've talked, and we've kind of gone through stuff, and I've said, you know what, that's... I've, I, I think of this verse, or I've gone through something like that, or I know someone has... The Bible tells us that we can pray about these things and that that when we pray in faith, God's going to help us in some way. And that He can give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, Are you you okay if if I pray for you? Like it might be right then. You never know. That person might be absolutely just just thirsting for that, would just be absolutely moved by that. It might be, I have said this before. You know what, our family prays often, you know, around the dinner table. Are you okay if we just kind of pray for you guys and we'll let you know that we have? Absolutely. See, there is a depth of love which comes when you are willing to go before almighty God with what seems like an infantile problem to somebody else. Oh, don't bother God with my problem. Don't don't bother to help me. I'm not that important. They absolutely are. They've been created in the image of God. Every person, regardless of their political slant, or their theological bent created in the image of God. Hudson Taylor and William Carey were both pioneers of the modern-day mission movement. You know, they went to places where others didn't. And they went with little more than a knowledge of God and grace in their lives. And they knew that all men needed to be saved. Both went to their places of mission, and they set up ministries of works, things that would help people. And before they started heralding the truth, they helped people. And as a result of their good deeds, a hearing was had, hearts were changed, and souls were won. And people began to praise their Father in heaven. See, that's the end result, isn't it? If you are a Christian, I want you to know that you are a city on a hill. You are part of the church. You are a lamp on a stand, doing good works so that others might give glory to God. These are the works which God has prepared in advance for you to do in Christ Jesus. See, God has established good works for us, hasn't He? And that acts as a witness and as a vehicle through which others give thanks. And when we care and we help others who have done nothing to deserve it, nothing, We are living out an expression of God's grace, which Christ Jesus worked out in real time for you and for me. When his hands were nailed to the cross and his feet were pierced, and when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. You did nothing to deserve that. Nothing. In fact, you were God's enemy when Christ died for your sins. For mine. This is grace. And while it is offensive and ridiculously sounding on one level, when you experience it, it is the sweetest, most comforting, most all-consuming, loving thing you can possibly imagine. You see, God in His graciousness has not only saved us from something, His wrath, but He has saved us to something, to good works which He has ordained for us to do, which bring Him glory. So why do we go to places like Pakistan, Syria, Egypt, areas like Arissa in eastern India where I went, where houses are burned and the bodies of believers are left in the street? Why, honestly, why care about Calvary Baptist Church and the impact it's having in this community? Why? Because Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. A city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Our God, today we come before you acknowledging that you have given your spirit to those who are followers of Christ and to this church, not to be weak or to be timid or to be sheltered or to be selfish, but to be gracious and giving. And so, Father, convict our hearts today where they need to be convicted. Let us not leave this place in the manner in which we came, may this church go out in strength and in passion for the good of people and to the glory of your name. I both proclaim this and pray this in the name of Jesus today. Amen.